In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. I'm great. How are you? Well, mate, I've got a bit of a problem. What now? I'm stuck upside down. You want a night out and it's gone wrong or something? No. You know Tom, Todd Haley had the uh, that scene in Hard Knocks when he was upside down? Yep. I'm at my dad's house. He's got one of them machines, so I thought I'd give it a go. I thought I'd try and do the podcast upside down. Well, you're always trying to push the boundaries. Um... But anyway, mate, uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to uh, speak to Fred tonight, so could you speak to him for me? Yeah, I'll more than happily have a chat to Fred. You're going to miss out, mate. It's going to be a cracker. All right, mate. Well, I'll catch up with you afterwards. Have a good one. You too. Cheers. We're going to start with some no love. Good morning, Cleveland. Welcome to Fred Greetham, who is joining us from the Orange and Brown Report. How are you doing, Fred? Hey, thanks for having me. It's first time I can say I'm talking across the pond to, to a group of Browns fans. No, thank you very much for joining us. First question we want to ask is, why the Browns? What, what got you to involve with the Cleveland Browns? Well, um... I grew up here in Northeast Ohio, and I was working on my, actually on my master's degree back at Kent State when the Browns were training there in the 80s, and uh, they ended up hiring me to be an intern, and um, I wrote, it was in the public relations department, and I wrote some stories, probably the, the one that caught the eye was a linebacker, they had a rookie from Louisville named Eddie Johnson. He made the team, and he went on to be one of the better players in Browns history. Called him the assassin. Well, anyway, um, I got hired by the Browns then to stay on and be a writer. And back then, they they started a publication called Browns News Illustrated. It was a tabloid, a weekly magazine. And so I I was I did that for a year and a half. Then I moved to Arizona, where I was a a coach, a basketball college and college baseball and basketball coach and uh, came back to the Browns in 89 uh, to be the editor of Browns News Illustrated, the publication I had originally started with. And so I've been here my whole life and um, was a Browns fan all the way through. So it's been kind of a, a pretty good opportunity to get to go to the games for free and follow the team <laughs> that you kind of secretly cheer for anyway. That's not bad. Uh, free opportunity to go to games uh, sounds like a winner. So you always seem to be in and around it. How often do you get down to the uh, Browns, the training, um, and everything else? Well, I'm I'm in Berea right now. I'm actually in their 
one of their studios that they do their radio um, from. Um, in between, we just interviewed some of the players, and uh, the, the practice starts here 3 o'clock our time, so in about an hour, hour and a half. It's Sunday afternoon right now. They'll, they'll practice, and, uh, and then we talk to Hugh Jackson afterwards. But in training camp, I'm out here about eight hours a day, seven days a week. Training camp officially is over, but they're still in their preseason schedule, so that's why we're out here today on Sunday and again Monday and Tuesday. So I'm out here pretty much every day until the season gets going, and then then you get into more of a regular schedule where I'm out here on Monday the day after the game, and Tuesday's the player's day off, but then we're out here Wednesday, Thursday, Friday off Saturday and then go to the game on Sunday. So it's a it's a pretty hef, hefty schedule once the season gets going, which is right around the corner. So Hard Knocks is there, so it's one of them rare moments when we see stuff behind the scenes. But as someone that gets there very often, have you got any funny stories or things you've seen behind the scenes that have uh, stuff that we don't get to see as fans? Well, I've done this for 30-some years, so I've seen a lot of things. Um some I can't talk about, but most of them were back with the Art Modell days when I was actually working for him during the season. And and uh, I'll just share one story. Um, the first, they asked me to, to work in Art Modell's booth, and it was in the old stadium. I'd never been there. And uh, I got there early for a Monday night football game in 1981. They were playing the San Diego Chargers. And... Um, I knocked on the door and I opened it up and there was three men sitting eating dinner and I went to close the door saying, excuse me, sorry. And uh, they said, no, where are you looking? I said, I'm looking for Mr. Modell suite. They said, this is it. Come on in. Have lunch with us. Well, I went in. I was 22 years old and it was Don Meredith, Howard Cosell and Frank Gifford, the, the, the original Monday night football team. And so that was my first experience. I sat there with these guys, and and uh, that game, Pete Rosell, who's the commissioner, called. I answered the phone. I had to get him in touch with Art Modell, and and uh, Modell was talking to Howard Cosell, and Pete Rosell, the commissioner, says, "Hey, I want to talk to Art." And, and Art told me, he says, "I tell him I'm talking to the real commissioner here, Howard Cosell." And so here, here was a little intimidating, making jokes with some of these revered NFL figures. But I've had a lot of stories over the years, um, and it's it's been enjoyable. Who's your Who's your favorite sort of current Browns player to interview? Who's sort of the funny behind the scenes one that always uh, great to talk to? On the current roster, yeah. Well, it changes so often that. We got a whole new team just about every year, but um, I've I've enjoyed um, several of the guys. I think that one of the most engaging is Baker Mayfield. I mean, he's he's not at all what I imagined when they drafted him. I, I saw him as kind of a Johnny Manziel type, and I can tell you, he's not at all. He's a different. He's a completely different individual, and that's that's a pretty good thing. It's, it's he's, he's he's a pretty good kid, and he's got but he's got the walk on mentality of nothing. I haven't earned anything, and and um, 
you know, you like to see that. That's refreshing. Jarvis Landry, I just talked to him about an hour ago and actually put a plug in. If if you want to get all my information, follow me on Twitter. It's at Fred Greetham, F-R-E-D-G-R-E-E-T-H-A-M. I just interviewed Jarvis Landry and have all his uh, little clips up there as well as Jabril Peppers. So every day we talk to people. But um, Jarvis Landry's quite, quite an individual. He's, uh, he's, he's quite engaging as well. So I'm getting to know some of these new guys. Um, guys have been around. There really isn't too many old-timers. Joe Thomas just retired, and he was really one of the, the funnest guys to talk to, just a very ordinary, down-to-earth guy. You could go up to him anytime in the locker room and talk to him about hunting or fishing or anything, and he'd talk to you about that more so than football. So a lot of, lot of good guys. Good to hear. It's great to hear that Baker's good. He's my favourite player in the draft, and uh, I didn't think we were going to take him number one. When it happened, I was over the moon. I was running around my living room. Uh, the food went everywhere, but uh, over the moon that he's now a brown. So next up, we've got Paul's favourite question. He asks everyone that comes on, what body part are you willing to give up for the Browns to win the Super Bowl? Well, I'm getting too old to give up body parts willingly, but, um, you know, I've, one of the reasons I've hung around so long, I've been covering this team for over 30 years, is the interest here in Cleveland, Northeast Ohio, is off the charts when the team was good in the 80s and before, and I really think they're still living on the interest from those years because... You guys are in England. You, there's no reason in the world to be following the Browns. This team has been pathetic since the team returned. I'm kind of hanging around for that, hopefully, the experience to go to the playoffs and, you know, maybe to the Super Bowl and win it. But um, I don't know about a body part, but I've kind of lost some of my fanness being a reporter and, and being around the team, but it makes it a lot more interesting when they win because people are more interested in, in watching it and hearing about it. Um, when a team's on 16 or one in 15, you know, we take the, the heat from other, you know, media outlets, just like the fans do sometimes. So, you know, it'll be good. It'll be very, this town went crazy with the Cavaliers winning the championship. I was down at the parade, over a million people. I venture to say if the Browns win that, it'll be five to ten times bigger because this is just a football town. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I don't really follow any of the other sports over in America, but uh, love the NFL. So one thing that sort of divided Browns fans, should the stripes go back on the helmets or do they look better without them? I'm a traditionalist. I'd like stripes back on. I don't need all these fancier uniforms, though. I'd, I'd be happy with the 1960s look, you know, the all-white um, and brown jerseys, you know. I th- I'm more traditional, and I think you're going to see the stripes come back on here real quick, and, and I, think it, I think that looks better. Okay. So if you could go for a drink with anyone in the Browns organization, who would it be? Doesn't just have to be players; can be anyone in the organization. Um, that's interesting. You know, as far as John Dorsey, I, I I like the way he's brought the attention to the team and his his. I'm more of a traditionalist, you know, old school. Evaluate, pick the right players, and we've seen him pick the wrong players for so long. 
I really have confidence that he knows what he's doing. Um, and I like the guys that he's brought in. We'll see what happens with the draft, but you know how they turn out. But, but I think John Dorsey has really been the first guy in a long time that that kind of gets Cleveland. Uh, it's good to hear. So obviously the news um, over the weekend is Josh Gordon's back. Sort of, what's the feeling there, and how do you think we should work forward with that, and what should we do as Browns? Well, it's good to know that he's not facing a suspension, that he didn't fail any tests. He just was away from the team. Just talked to Jarvis Landry about it, and and they said they think he's going to be ready by the opener. I'm writing a story right now about that, and uh, I think you can't have enough weapons. The biggest thing with Gordon, it's hard for the coaching staff or the organization to really move forward with trust. You know, can you count on him being there? Because as soon as you count on him, then he disappears, and so. I think for him, he's got a lot of incentives to play this year because if he could just get qualified, he can become go into free agency and he'd make a lot more money than what he's making now. And, and I think that you put him opposite Jarvis Landry and then you throw in Antonio Callaway and you throw in some of these young guys along with uh, an up-and-coming tight end in David Njoku, I think that the Browns have some weapons um, and in the backfield with Carlos Hyde, Nick Chubb, and Duke Johnson, and then some adequate quarterback play with Tyrod Taylor and Baker Mayfield, I think you know they're able to make some leaps and bounds this year. But I think Gordon would really, you know, even put a feather in the cap of this offense. So lots of the um, people within the team have been saying it just feels different at the training um, and everything this year. Do you see that when you're there, or is it something that is just something that's sort of said because it's a good soundbite? No, we've been around this quite a bit, and and I think the optimism starts with quarterback play. The Browns have been looking for a quarterback basically since Bernie Kosar, and you can see with Terod Taylor and Baker Mayfield just playing adequately, even though it's the preseason, the offense looks so much better. And, and I think that's what gives you optimism. I think if they would have had a, a Taylor last year, they'd have won five, six games just because of quarterback play. So I think that trickles down. And then you have some, some veterans that have won before. Michael Kendricks won the Super Bowl with the Eagles. And like I said, Jarvis Landry, Tyrod Taylor, um, Chris Hubbard, guys that have played in winning programs bring this sense of, optimism as well as a confidence you know that they're heading in the right direction what's sort of been your big three takeaways from the first three uh first two preseason games the um trying to think who played the giants and the bills well it's first off the the adequate quarterback play um just just taylor and mayfield both have showed they look like nfl quarterbacks and we haven't seen that you know, really consistently for a long time. The other night against the Bills, the running game really looked good. It didn't do anything in the first game, but they concentrated all last week on the running game. And you saw what Carlos Hyde, Nick Chubb, and Duke Johnson can do behind. And they were missing a couple starters on the offensive line. Kevin Zeitler is still been, you know, they've been holding him out with a calf injury. And then the defense, 
they were the first team defense was out there four series and they forced a three and out all four. So I like what I see. You know, last year I thought the defense played well enough to win, you know, several games, but the offense couldn't score any points. And so I think the defense is even going to be stronger this year. They added some key players, especially in the secondary. They completely made over the secondary with Randall and Peppers back to strong safety and Kindred, and then with Denzel Ward and then Gaines and Carey and Mitchell. They got some good cornerbacks. And uh, you add that to Michael Kendricks and a healthy Jamie Collins, I think the defense, especially the front seven, could be pretty strong. No, it's, it's exciting. Sort of out there, we've sort of seen Ward's the starter alongside Mitchell. Who's sort of coming in between reps as sort of that third choice cornerback or, or playing them key roles? Because each week you sort of see it moves around. Yeah, um, well... If you follow the money, they gave the big money at a free agent was T.J. Carey. They gave him four years, $31 million. So most people assumed he'd be the starter. But Terrence Mitchell has been pretty much since the beginning of training camp. And uh, E.J. Gaines um, also, you know, has been in there. So those three guys are kind of working around opposite of war. And I expect one of those three to lock it down. Okay, so we're going to do... Back and forth, I'll let you go first. The three brightest things for the Browns at this moment, not just talking this season, just everything. If I ask you what are the three things you're most excited about with the Browns, what are they? Well, I think most of all it starts with the quarterback, and I think they have a chance to finally have found their franchise quarterback with Baker Mayfield. And I think having Tyrod Taylor here and allows him to, to settle things down and not throw Mayfield in immediately. Uh, so, so quarterback play would be probably the biggest reason for optimism. Um, I said earlier, John Dorsey being in control and, and the personnel people they have, most of the moves they're making make sense and are logical, and you can see that they're heading in the right direction. I think that the defense, you know, as well, you know, played well last year, and I think I think that will only get better this year. So... You know, with a with a solid quarterback play and some playmakers on offense, and then you have a defense. I think you got the makings of a good foundation long term. I think for me, the one of the things I'm most looking forward to is the amount of young talent. So you've got Ogba, Garrett, Ogunjobi. There's three amazing pieces there. Tight ends in Choku. I'm really looking forward to this season. Um, I, I'm careful where I say this because. I'm in a fantasy league with a lot of the listeners, so I think he's going to be a massive pickup at tight end. I just think you've got a history of both um, Baker Mayfield and Tyrod. They love, in the red zone, it's going to the tight end, most likely. So uh, it's going to be one that's picked up. And I think if Baker hits it, um, a rookie quarterback, that contract is the best chance any team have ever got of winning the Super Bowl. So I think year three to five of Baker... If you're going to put the money on, that's when the Browns are going to win their Super Bowl. That is the three-year window where we're either going to get a ring or it's just not going to happen. <laughs> I like your optimism, you know, and so I, I think that, yes, they they have the pieces in the making if they can build on it. And I think right now the AFC North is, is winnable. Um, the window is opening up 
because I, the Bengals and the Ravens have kind of been in a standstill. And uh, I think the Steelers' opportunity is closing, in my opinion, with Roethlisberger nearing the end of his career. And they'll probably lose Le'Veon Bell. And, and so I think the Browns' best opportunity, maybe not this year, but in the next two, three years, would be to win the division to get in the playoffs. No, I definitely agree with that. And I think the one thing that's got a bright future is the amount of salary cap space um, of we can do good things with it. So every time you hear a rumour, oh, uh, Mac's going to get traded, oh, they might not be able to pay Odell Beckham Jr., the Browns are always the first choice there because there's going to be some amazing talent that teams just can't afford now as players know they can get all this money. And while I'm not a big fan of paying players massive contracts, if you can get an Odell Beckham Jr., it'd be a nice addition to have. Yeah, they definitely... The thing is, they have the money as long as they make the right moves and the right choices, you know. And that's what why they're in the situation they've been in because they've picked the wrong players and made the wrong decisions the last few years. I will say Sashi Brown did a great job of setting up the salary cap situation and acquiring the draft picks. And I think John Dorsey's the right guy to, you know kind of see it through yeah it's trying to get that balance of I loved what Sashi did we'll find out in the future whether those players were good enough but uh, it's it's going to be one to see so we've had the positives and now we've got to flip it to the negatives what are the three things that worry you most about where the Browns are right now well left tackle you know they put Batonio over there that's not his best position but he's probably the best they have right there it was the biggest question so the offensive line, how they come together, will predicate on how, how well they do on offense because they do have some playmakers. We talked about Najoka, we talked about Hyde, we talked about Chubb, Duke Johnson, Jarvis Landry, Josh Gordon, Antonio Callaway. Those are some pretty good players, but you got to be able to give the quarterback time. And that hasn't been a problem with Joe Thomas, but now... Now you kind of got a domino effect with Batonio there and then a rookie at left guard and then um, with Zeitler, you know, currently sidelined. So when that all comes together, that would be the biggest question on offense. On defense, it's always been, can the Browns stop the run? We haven't seen them stop the run forever. I think they have a good front seven. They traded away Danny Shelton, but uh, they were relying on Ogunjobi and Coley and uh, Jamie Meter and a couple of those guys, Caleb Brantley, to be able to be run stoppers, you know, up there. So I think stopping the run is the biggest question on defense, getting the pass rush, you know, getting Ogba and Garrett on the field healthy at the same time. Last year they were good together, but when Ogba got went down, Garrett wasn't as effective. So I think they need both of them out there. So – I think those are some of the things. they got to continue to build depth. They've added some depth, but they they still have some – they are thin at a couple of positions, especially at free safety. Yeah. Just uh, left tackle, one name that's been rumoured as a trade leaving the Raiders is uh, Penn. Do you think there's a chance we see him here, maybe just as one-year or two-year um, gap filler at left tackle? Yeah, I think anything's um, possible, but it – this time of the year I don't know if they're gonna if they're gonna make those moves they usually do them earlier I think they're trying to because Joe Thomas retired late 
so much. That was the one area they didn't really address. So I think that that will be in the forefront after this season. Um, if if they have an opportunity to get a guy like that, I think they would. But who knows? You know, changes so often. Rumors out there every day in the NFL. Okay, so what are your expectations for this season? I went five wins. Paul's gone six wins. Where do you think it's going to break down? It's a difficult schedule this year and uh, not something you'd expect for a team that went 0-16. Yeah, I think they'll win somewhere between five and maybe as high as eight games. Um, the To me, it's more about how are they playing in the second half of the season. I liken it to the 1985 season. You probably can't remember that, <laughs> but Bernie Kosar was a rookie then, and Gary Danielson was the veteran. And Kozar took over about middle of the season. They ended up making the playoffs and were 8-8. Eight and eight. But by the end of the year, everybody knew this team was heading in the right direction. And we know what happened. They went to the AFC Championship, you know, the three of the next four years. And so that's what I'm looking for is how they're playing down the road in the second half of the season. Hopefully they have their quarterback in place and and they have all the pieces that you can see are blossoming and their best footballs in front of them. So I'm not looking for big things in 2018, but I think they can set themselves up for 2019 really nicely uh, with a solid year this year and, and find their playmakers and build on it. Good. Um, do you think there's a real battle they're going to allow at quarterback sort of Will they ever allow a situation where Mayfield could beat out Taylor this year, or are we going to have to wait till the bye or possibly the whole season? Well, I think Hugh Jackson's kind of gun shy because he's played rookie quarterbacks for the last two years, and a lot of that would be how Taylor plays. If if Taylor has them, I think after about ten games they have a bye. If they're still in contention for a playoff spot. I would think they would continue on that route. But if if they are out of contention, to me it makes sense to turn it over to Mayfield, get his feet wet, let him play five, six games. Because clearly, I don't care what they say, unless Taylor just leads them to an unbelievable season this year, May, Mayfield's going to be your quarterback yeah. in 2019. All you have to do is look at what the Chiefs did. They drafted Patrick Mahomes last year. He sat on the bench the whole year. Alex Smith had probably the best year of his career, had an outstanding year, and they traded him as soon as the season was over, you know, with Mahomes waiting in the wings. So I see Dorsey doing the same thing this year. Is And so not to say that Taylor wouldn't be on the team, but he could stay on, you know, as a, as a backup or whatever. But I think, you know, Baker Mayfield's going to be the starter in 2019. So in 2018... I think he could take over midway through the season. If there's an injury, obviously it could be earlier than that. Yeah. Um, and then one last question. Uh, I've got two last questions. Um, Hugh, what's the feeling of Hugh? Is he going to make the season out? Sort of the view you get from Hard Knocks is uh, Haley's just there measuring the size of the chair, getting ready for it. Um, is there pressure? And uh, what do you think the minimum expectation is that he uh, has to achieve? Well, it's a bottom line business, and most people can't believe that he survived one in thirty-one. Um, I do think they have to to have a good season. I don't know how many wins really to measure it. I think it's what I said 
It's how are they playing in the second half of the season when they've gelled, hopefully, and do you feel they're heading, you know, in the, in the right direction? If they're just playing out the schedule, then I could see a move being made. But if you fire the coach, you're, you're kind of starting all over again, you know, and they've been down this road so many times, you know, you got Haley running the offense now, clearly, and you have Williams run the defense. Let's see how Jackson does in the rest of the roles. But I do think he's going to have to have, you know, I don't know what the number is. If five wins keeps his job, if, if six, seven. But I, I, it'd be hard to sell him coming back if they only won three or four games, especially with the talent they've added to this roster. Okay, and one final question. What are the things for fans to keep an eye on this year? Is there any sort of undrafted free agents on, that might make the roster? Fans always love keeping an eye out and cheering for the underdog. Well, that uh, Devin Kajus has been getting a lot of time on hard knocks. I could see him making it if they decide to part ways with Seth the Valve. But other than that, I don't see him make – he could be a practice squad guy. Um this because they brought in a lot of veterans, it's going to be harder for the undrafted rookies to make the team. They added, you know, ten draft picks to the roster and fourteen or fifteen free agents. So I do think there'll there'll be some obviously um, some younger guys. Desmond Harrison's a guy they like. He's an undrafted left tackle. I don't know if he'll make the team, but he'd be more of a of a practice squad guy. Um, there's a couple of wide receivers, CJ board, uh, undrafted Damari Scott. Um, a couple of those guys could, could sneak on, but I think most of them are playing for practice squad, you know, spots. So nobody pops out right now, as far as, you know, an undrafted rookie making the team. I know they will, but as we, kind of look at this week's game and be able to tell who's playing on special teams. Those are the guys that make the team a lot of times. No worries. So I've got a potential on uh, Devin Caduce to sneak on to the uh, main roster. I think with their issues at wide receiver, they he's got a history he played there before. They might just take him as a fourth tight end and uh, go down to five wide receivers and him and Seth DeValve and even Njoku get a little bit of work in the slot. But uh, it'll be one to keep an eye out of. Just remind everyone... Um, where can they get you on Twitter and read your work? Yeah, Twitter, it's at Fred, F-R-E-D, good English name, Greetham, G-R-E-E-T-H-A-M. Or they can go on theobr.com or clee.247sports. The Orange and Brown Report, we're part of 24-7 Sports. So... Follow me on Twitter at Fred Greetham or go online and check out what we do. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. Wish you all the best for the coming season and have a great day. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Let's change.